Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time today, Lord, and Lord, this time of the year where we reflect to the past and begin to plan for the future. There's a time that we, we think about where we've been and where we want to be. As the new year is about to begin, we, we think about new beginnings, of hitting reset, starting things anew, making changes, setting goals. Lord, I pray as we think about these things, that our hearts be set to make it our mission in life, our goal in life, to do everything for your glory and your praise. As we make resolutions today, Lord, may that be number one, to live for your glory. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, as we continue our series in the kingdom parables. Now you remember, we've talked about this before, as we look at kingdom parables, there are many other parables, even in Matthew's gospel, but we are focusing on kingdom parables. That's, that is those parables that, in which Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is as such, as like this. And so those are the parables we're focusing on, those parables that teach us something about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So we're looking at those kingdom parables, and we're coming down now to the last two. This one and next week will be our last two parable, parables, and then we'll go on to the next series. But these two are quite timely. They're very timely for this time of year. Uh, this week and next week, they, they have a, a lot to do with this time of year or really uh, help us at this time of year when we are thinking about setting resolutions and making, setting new goals for our life for this year to come. So uh, let's look at that this morning. If you found your place there in Matthew chapter 25, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who, were, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will, be, there will not be enough, for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, 
the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, tomorrow is the new year, the beginning of the new year, January 1st. And on January 2nd, it's always this way. I'm, I'm a gym goer, so I see this every year. On January 2nd, the gym will be full. There will be plenty of people in the gym. We'll have to be fighting for equipment to get our time on the equipment because the gyms will be full. But by February 2nd, that crowd is going to thin out a little bit. And by March the 2nd, well, it'll be all things back to usual. Uh, but it's always that way this time of year. People begin to look at the year. They look at the past year, what the, their life has been like. And, and they begin to look at the year ahead and they begin to set New Year's what? resolutions. It's that time. We've, we all have a tendency to do this. Some may not, but a lot of us, we begin to think about what are we going to do different this year? We look at our lives and see the problem areas, whether it be health. We, we, maybe we've been eating too much, so we start our diet plan to kind of get back in good health or, or whatever it may be. We take this time of year to begin to think about where we want to be this time next year and we began to make these New Year's resolutions. But New Year's resolutions uh, have a tendency to be made to be broken. And so as we think about this next year, uh, let's make New Year's resolutions that will make a difference. They have a grand purpose. Let us make New Year's resolutions that honor and glorify our God. As Christians, that's what we ought to be thinking about. How can I live, not just how, how can I live to be healthier, but how can I live this next year? What can I do to bring more glory and honor to my God? We should be thinking about that. We need to be thinking about uh, making resolutions with the end in mind. Thinking about the day of the Lord. Thinking about His coming. Wanting to make sure that we are ready for His appearing. The Lord's day is at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. It is coming. Soon He will be breaking through that sky. And His trumpet will sound. Will you be ready? That's a lot to do with the, today's parable. Making sure that we are prepared for the day of the Lord, each and every one of us. And here's the lesson that we learned today. Ignorance of the day of the Lord is no excuse for laziness. Resolve, therefore, to make ready for the day of the Lord is at hand. Let me say that again. Ignorance of the day of the Lord is no excuse for laziness. Resolve to make ready, for the day of the Lord is at hand. 
So let's begin to look at this parable this morning. This parable is taking place in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples about the coming of the Lord. In fact, if you turn back in uh, chapter 24, you see that. You see that he he has been talking to them about the end, looking for the day of the end. In fact, Jesus had told them about the, the temple being destroyed, and he goes into that, what to be looking for and how to, to think about when that will happen. And then he jumps all the way to the end when the, the Son of God will come again. If you turn over the, uh, chapter 24, verse 29, you see this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the from one end of heaven to the other. And then skip on down to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so Jesus is talking about. The end time, the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of the Son of Man, Jesus' second coming. And he's telling them that no one knows the day, no one knows the hour, you cannot know this, only the Father in heaven knows that day and that hour. Nevertheless, we must be prepared for that day. And so he begins to tell a number of, of parables here. But this one comes down to the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And so this one really focuses in on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his people. And so we focus on that this morning. Now let's talk about this parable. This parable is talking about uh, a typical uh, wedding feast of that Uh, first century Palestinian time frame. And so the disciples here, they understand this parable fairly well. But we may not quite understand it as well. We don't quite do uh, wedding services the same way they did back in the first century. And so we need to understand a little bit about the wedding service that's taking place here. Now, in the wedding service of that day, uh, there, there was this betrothal period where the bride would be betrothed to the bridegroom. And so that, that day would be one day in the past. And it's all from that point on, they were looking for the wedding day, the day that the bridegroom would come and take his bride. Now, once the, the betrothal period began, they were already uh, considered to be married. You talk about Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary was betrothed before they got married. And it was in that betrothal time that Mary was found to be with child. And and you remember that Joseph, he was going to put her away, to divorce her quietly. 
See, they hadn't consummated the marriage yet, but because they were betrothed, they were already considered to be married, even though Joseph had not come and taken Mary into his household and consummated the marriage. Well, here we come to a time uh, Jesus is talking about a wedding that had already been begun. The betrothal period had already been begun, and they were waiting for the day that the bridegroom would come in and take his bride. And it was that day, it was that day that, that the people began to get ready for the bridegroom to come into town to take his bride and make her his own. And oftentimes, these bridal, these uh, wedding ceremonies, they would take place at night. They would often take place at night. Why? Because it was much more spectacular that way. Uh, think about it. They would, the bridegroom, he would come with his wedding party, and they would kind of come down to the town of the bride, and they would receive the bride and take, them back, take the bride back to the bridegroom's house. Well, here comes the bridegroom with his party, his wedding party, and they come riding in or walking in with their torches lit. Can you imagine that scene as the, this huge party comes walking into town with their torches lit, coming to take the bride? And as the bridegroom and his party would come into town to receive the bride, well, the bride's party then would be waiting. And they would be looking for the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom was seen from afar, when they see him off in a distance, then the bride's party would light their torches. And they would go out to meet the bridegroom and his party and bring him into town to receive the bride. And then the whole party would then go out and back to the bridegroom's house where there would be a great and wonderful feast. And so that is the, the image that Jesus is setting here for us. It is a, a wedding day. And there, the people there in the home of the bridegroom, the town of the bride, or excuse me, the bride, they are sitting there waiting for the bridegroom to come and take his bride. And so Jesus tells this parable, there were ten virgins, or you could translate that ten girls. These are maids of honor, if you will. Uh, they are there, they are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And Jesus says five of, the, the, of these uh, virgins were foolish. They were foolish. The Greek word here for foolish is the same word from which we get our word moron. Uh, they were morons. They were moronic. They lacked wisdom. And, and so they lacked wisdom. So when they got ready to come to the wedding feast and, and to make preparations for this wedding day, they brought their torches, but they brought no extra fuel. But there were five wise virgins who did. They were wise. And so they brought fuel with them. Now you have to understand that in this culture, it was quite common for people to run late, especially the bridegroom. He would often run a little late. Uh, this, this is a culture that's very different from our American culture. In America, we are, you know, we're very individualistic, and so we are very concerned about the time, and oh boy, if you, you, you better be there 15 minutes early, right? Uh, that's the way we think about things. We must be on time. You've got to be on time, if not 15 minutes early. 
Uh, but in this kind of culture, this is a communal type of culture, and in a communal culture especially, uh, there's less emphasis on time. There's more emphasis on relationship and less emphasis on time. So uh, they weren't too concerned about someone being on time. And so it was often, it was very common for uh, people in this culture to be late. If you, you look to those in the Latino culture, uh, they are very communal. They are not individualistic like we are. They are communal. And, and they, don't, they don't have the same concept of time that we have. And it's the same here in the Palestinian area. They're not worried about time, but they're worried more about relationships. And so uh, this bridegroom, it was quite common for the bridegroom to show up late and so five virgins prepared for this possibility and they brought extra oil five were foolish and did not bring the extra oil that was needed and so when it came time for the bridegroom he did come it was at midnight late at night and he came and so the the virgins rose from their slumber and they began to prepare for the bridegroom's arrival and they trimmed their wicks. And the wise virgins, they added oil back onto their torches and got ready for him to come to town. But the foolish virgins, the moronic virgins, they had no oil. And they said, hey, well, why don't you, you girls, why don't y'all share with us? But the wise said, you know what? There's not enough for both of us. There's just not enough for both of us. We bought enough for ourselves, but we don't have enough for all of us. If, if we share with you, then we're all going to be left out at the end. Why don't you go to the buyers, buy more oil, and then come back. Maybe you can make it in time. But as the bridegroom comes, the wise virgins go out to meet his party. He receives his bride. They go back to his, his house, his place, and begin the feast. But the foolish virgins were unable to get the oil that they needed in time. And as they came to the door, the door was shut. The master of the house, the bridegroom, says, I do not know you. Jesus says, this is much like the end. This is much like the end. The end times are going to come. The end times are going to come. The Lord, the bridegroom, the bridegroom, is going to come receive his bride, the church. And there's going to be those who are wise, who are prepared for his coming. But there will be many who are foolish, who are moronic, who have heard the call but did not prepare. They will be left out. So as we look at this parable then this morning, here are some lessons that we need to learn. First of all, know that the Lord's return is imminent. Know that the Lord's return is imminent. By imminent, that, just, that word means it can happen at any time. There's not any moment in time that the Lord could return. We could walk out of here this, this morning and the trumpet sound and the Lord return. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be 2,000 years from now. But we can be sure of this, that the Lord said he will return. His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment in time. 
No one knows the day. No one knows the hour but the Father alone. But that does not change the fact that Jesus is coming again. And it could happen at any moment. It is his return is imminent. Now, the objection is, well, look, it's been 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years. And, and the apostles, they thought his return was, could happen just any moment. They thought, you, you read Paul, and Paul talks like it could happen in his lifetime. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't happened. A lot of people lose heart. Oh, yeah, we say it could happen at any time, but you know, really, is it going to happen at any time? No, probably not. I've probably got the rest of my life before he comes again. It, might, it probably won't happen in my time. Dear friend, we need to know. We need to know that the Lord may return at any moment, any day, Will you be ready? Will you be ready? If the trumpet sounds in five minutes, will you be ready to face the Lord? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Dear friends, the Lord is returning. His day is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Are you ready for that day? Are you prepared? That's the point of this parable. The point of this parable is to ask that question, to put forth that question. Are you prepared? That's what verse 13 means. Watch therefore. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch. And that's not a passive thing. Jesus is not talking about doing something passive here, just sitting around waiting for the day. He's talking about being prepared. Be prepared. Watch. Make ready. Make preparation for that day. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. Therefore, make every day and every hour live it all like today is today and this hour is the hour. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't grow lazy. Don't grow weary. But live like Jesus will return in the next hour. Every hour of your life. So know that the Lord's return is imminent. Second, ignorance is no excuse for laziness. Ignorance is no excuse for laziness. These ten foolish virgins, they were lazy in their preparation. They were lazy because they did not think about when the bridegroom would come. 
They were ignorant of the fact of when, the exact hour the bridegroom would arrive. They thought, well, maybe he'll come early. And so they did not prepare properly for the bridegroom's arrival. And when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. They were not prepared. And they got left in the cold. I want us to see this from this passage as we think about this and think about what Jesus is talking about here, what he's saying about in this, this parable. First of all, preparedness demonstrates one's love and respect for the bridegroom. Preparedness demonstrates one's love and respect for the bridegroom. Think about these foolish virgins. Because they were not prepared, because of their lack of preparedness, they demonstrated that they had no love and no respect for the bridegroom who was coming to receive his bride. This is much like the parable that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the uh, parable of a wedding feast where a king threw a wedding feast for his son. And the king sent out invitations, and there were those who were invited who said, well, you know, we're too busy. I've got to go take care of things out on the farm. I've got to go sell some merchandise at the, down at the market. And they were too busy to be concerned about the king's wedding feast. These, bride, these uh, virgins they were too busy with other things to make preparation for the bridegroom's coming. Ever known anyone like that? Some big event's coming up, and instead of making preparation, oh, I just got, I've got to go over here and do this, and oh, well, I, I need to do this other thing instead, and they fail to make preparation. What does that demonstrate? That demonstrates someone's lack of concern for whatever's coming up. These virgins, they showed their lack of concern, their lack of respect and love for the bridegroom who was coming to receive the bride. And dear friend, if you are here today and you are failing to prepare for the Lord's coming, that shows your lack of love and respect for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you fail to prepare, if you fail to get ready for his coming, that shows you love yourself, you love your own activities, you love your own things more than you love him. You've disregarded his invitation to come to the wedding feast. Preparedness demonstrates one's love and respect for the bridegroom, for Jesus Christ. Notice here also that preparedness cannot be transferred or shared. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there is not, uh, will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, some would say, well, why didn't they, why weren't they, uh, you know, that would have been Christian love, right? Brotherly love to, to share with others, but that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that preparedness can't be transferred or shared. In other words, if you're hoping that your grandparents' preparedness will take care of you, dear friend, you are wrong. Preparedness is an individual thing. You're a member of this church, good and great. But if you're not prepared to meet Jesus, it's on you, not on the church.
Preparedness cannot be shared. It cannot be transferred. It is up to you, dear friend. You to make ready for the day of the Lord's return. See this also, preparedness cannot be put off. Preparedness cannot be put off. You can't wait until the end. Remember a friend of our family. He he came from a Christian family. He, he believed in Jesus, but he never surrendered his life to Jesus, at least not the, the majority of his life. And, and this was his philosophy. Well, I'll always have a split second at the end to receive Jesus and, and give my life over to him. I can live the way I want to live all of my life, and I will have a split second at the end to say, Jesus, forgive me, I give myself to you, and I'll be all right. Oh, dear friend, what makes you think that you spend your whole life living it for yourself? That Jesus is going to give you a second at the end of it all to give yourself to him I mean really is that how we're going to live does that really show a love for Jesus no that doesn't show a love for Jesus that shows a love for yourself that kind of attitude shows a love for yourself you don't love Jesus you just want what Jesus has to give you I thank the Lord that that man changed his way of life long before he died. Dear friend, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. You cannot put that preparedness off to the end. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to give your life unto the Lord. Today is the day to make ready for his return. Also, you need to see here this, that preparedness indicates election. Preparedness indicates one's election, one's election to the kingdom. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. Look, look back there, back chapter 24, verse 31, and, and he will send, the Lord will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And there he says in verse 12 of chapter 25, but he answered to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. You see, the foolish virgins who were not prepared, they showed that they did not know the Lord, nor did the Lord know them. Not in a loving way. Dear friend, your preparedness, your repentance, your faith, your life in Christ reveals your election reveals that you are a child of the kingdom, a child of God. You want to know if you're saved? 
look at your life. Is your life a life of obedience? Though not perfect. But do you see a, a growth in your life? Becoming more and more like Jesus? That's evidence. That's evidence that you are a child of God. Are you prepared? Do you long for His coming? Do you look for Him? Do you live daily to, to glorify His name? Preparedness is an indicator of one's elected status. One's status as a child of God. Oh dear friend, there are some non-believers here today I believe this with all my heart there are those in this place that you do not know Jesus Christ you are not prepared to meet him if the trumpet sound today you would be hitting the deck hiding under the pews because you would be in fear of your eternal destiny because you are not ready you are not prepared you have not received Christ as your Lord and King you have not surrendered yourself to him you're not ready don't put it off don't put it off don't hope that you'll have a second at the end but today give your life to him there are many Christians here today you're even a believer in Christ and you you you've given yourself to him and and your life does it, it looks good it's it's been a progression and and you've become more and more like Jesus but be honest to your, with yourself if the Lord came this hour would you be glad to stand before him or even as a Christian ashamed Your friend, Scripture tells us that on that day, on that day when the Lord returns, even we Christians will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. We will answer of how we lived our life for Jesus. And many of our works will be burned up. But only those that are, only our works that have been done for Jesus will remain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about this very thing. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, right? That's the only foundation any one of us can have. Now, verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, notice those three, gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become a manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, 
he will suffer loss, though he himself would be saved, but only as through fire. Dear Christian, let me ask you this. On the day of the Lord's return, will you be found to have built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or will you have been found to have built on that foundation with wood, straw, and things that get burned up in the fire? Worthless things. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Know that the Lord's return is imminent. And understand that ignorance is no excuse for laziness. Then, as we think about the new year, resolve to make ready for the day. Resolve to make ready for that day. Be prepared. Make preparation for the Lord's return. Make resolutions that, that have an eternal difference. Resolutions that matter. As you're thinking about what, what kind of resolution am I going to make? What kind of difference in my life am I going to make this year? Make resolutions that matter. Steve Covey wrote a book. Many of you probably have read, read this book, or some of you have. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, Steve Covey is not a Christian, or was not a Christian. He was actually a Mormon. But uh, what he says in the book is really quite helpful. And habit number two in Stephen, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits is this, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Dear friend, that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to begin with the end in mind. The end is the day of the Lord when he returns. We live for that day, not next week, not next month, not even this next year, but we live for the day of the Lord, for his return. Live with the end in mind. Now, this week, as I was thinking about this, uh, Jonathan Edwards is very well known for his resolutions. He had 60 resolutions that he made over the course of his life. And I just kind of went through there and picked out seven remarkable resolutions from Jonathan Edwards that I hope might help you even as you look at this this next week, as you think about this, perhaps you would adopt some of these. They are outstanding resolutions. Let's look at them. They're on the back of your handout there. Resolution number one, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of time, whether now or even so many myriads of ages hence. A little bit of that New England language back in 1700s, but you get the point. Uh, to live, to do whatsoever, I think to be most to the glory of God, to live for the glory of God. Whatever I do, I eat, I drink, I do it all for the glory of God. That's what he's saying. I resolve to live for the glory of God. To do whatever, whatever uh, I think to be most to uh, my own good and profit and pleasure. You have to understand, Jonathan Edwards, his pleasure 
is to the glory of God. His whole life was ate up with living, dying, breathing, eating everything for the glory of God. So anything good and profitable and pleasurable for him had to do with God's glory. Resolution number two, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, that is in your mind, or in, in the physical body, going out and doing it, but what tends to the glory of God. Again, never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, but what tends to the glory of God, to live for the glory of God. Number three, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable, a profitable way I possibly can. Watch your time. We talk about being stewards with our money, being stewards with our thing. What greater possession do we have? What greater uh, asset do we have in life than our time? You can't get it back. Use your time for the glory of the Lord. Number four, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. 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 God wants you to live. Live with all your might. Don't throw away a moment of your life on piddly things. But live while you so do live. Number five, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Live with the end in mind. Number six, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would be, not be above an hour before I should hear that last trumpet. Are you living that way? Number seven, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Dear friend, do you have a plan to read the Bible this year, to dig into God's Word? How can you know God's will for your life if you're not in His Word? That's how He speaks to us. That's how He communicates to us, through His Word. But we've got to be in His Word, studying His Word. And if you need help with that this year, out beside the office here, we have uh, four different plans out there. You can go by and pick, pick them up, and they are arranged from uh, beginner to advanced. So you find the one that fits you. The beginner plan goes through the New Testament in a year. If you're just starting out, you might want to start with that one. It's it's fairly easy plan. Moderate, you go through the Bible in one year. The more difficult one there on the end, it goes through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. So you just pick out which plan works best for you and get into God's Word. Resolve to be in Scripture, to study the Scripture, so that you might grow in godliness this next year. Dear friend, are you resolved to live for the day of the Lord's return? Are you resolved to live for that day? Dear friend, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You haven't surrendered your life to Him. 
you're not ready because you haven't surrendered your life to him Jesus Christ came he lived a life in perfect obedience to the father's will and though he was without sin though he never rebelled in the least bit he went to Calvary's cross and he died the death of a sinner of a rebel in your place bearing the penalty for your sins so that you might have life in him and he was raised again on three days later to show that all sin had been taken care of and to uh, uh, to make sure to confirm your eternal life in him scripture tells us if you believe in the name of if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess him with your mouth you will be saved you surrendered your life to Jesus if not prepare for the day prepare for the day by trusting in him and turning your life over to him today dear Christian are you ready to face him on that day will you be glad to see Jesus or will you be ashamed resolve resolve today to make this year new to do whatever it takes to grow in godliness, to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Resolve to live every day, to do and not do, all for the glory of God. And then when that trumpet comes, you will rejoice. And you'll be glad to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would all be ready for that day. That we would all look forward to the day in anticipation of your coming. Not afraid in the least bit. Not ashamed. But looking to that day. Waiting for your return. Oh Lord God, surely there are those here today. In a crowd such as this. Or they're not ready. They're not prepared in the least bit. Like the foolish virgins, Lord, they, they came, they heard an invitation, but Lord, they, they haven't prepared. They haven't made ready because they've never surrendered their lives to you. Oh, maybe they know the facts. They know who you are, they know what you did, but Lord, they're dragging their feet for being lazy. Opting to live for this life rather than to live for you. Oh Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that they surrender the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And enter your kingdom. Ready and prepared for your return. Oh Lord, work in our hearts now. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.